Hey, I'm Chris Biscardi, and this is the Party Corgi Podcast. Welcome back to the Party Corgi Podcast. Today we have Lori Barth, who is an accomplished speaker, an egghead instructor, a Google developer expert, a contributor to publications such as CSS Tricks and Smashing Magazine, a member of the TC39 Educators Committee, and in her free time, because apparently she has some after doing all of that, she facilitates clubs like Girls Who Code, and then sits back with a cupcake and plays board games with her puppy, Avid. So Avid or Avid? Avid. <laughs> Dang. It's okay. Everyone does that. And I think it's kind of fun. So I get to correct <laughs> everyone. Her name is Avid. She's adorable. She's a rescue. She's like a year and a half. That's awesome. Yeah. And you, and I'm pretty sure that you just like listed a, a resume of like a college student applying or like a high school student applying to college. Just be like, I joined this club and this club and this club. That is like all of like, those are very professional associations, though. Like That is <laughs> that is not just a resume. That is like a person who has been working in as a software engineer for a long time and knows stuff. Oh, <laughs> they, they, I, that's what we want you to think, right? Like <laughs> That's the goal. The goal is is to just add enough. Um, it, it's like working in Hollywood and it, how many ands you have. I'm a producer and writer and director and star <laughs> and i played bass one time in high school exactly <laughs> i know how to juggle and speak french i actually do know how to juggle and i am really really bad at french uh i'm really really bad at french as well uh and i knew how to juggle when i was in like middle school but i'm pretty sure that doesn't apply anymore mm. i don't i don't think it would work i do Juggling know or pins. I, I do know how to you have you heard of like the Diablo? Yeah. It, it, yeah, I know how to do that. Like pretty well, actually. I'm like a low-key circus nerd. So like, yeah, I know what a Diablo is. Okay. Yeah. I um <laughs> I did some circus summer camp stuff as a kid. Awesome. Dorky weird thing. Yeah, I literally went to circus. Do you summer. still own a Diablo? I do not still own a Diablo, but I would totally go buy one because I need entertainment right now. <laughs> I wonder if those are considered considered essential products. I mean, probably not. I've been going off of what I have in my house. So I was very lucky that this summer I purchased the Hogwarts Lego set of 6,000 pieces. <laughs> and I planned to do it over Christmas break. And then I got sick over Christmas break. And so it was just sitting there waiting for coronavirus quarantine. What? How lucky. <laughs> I know, right? Like, like the luckiest thing in the world that I just had this in my house and it was going to take me 24 hours. Is that how long it takes to put together a 6,000 piece Lego kit? Um, I mean, I'm estimating and it depends on who you are, but I broke it out over two different weekends. So probably all told continuous hours of work about 24 hours. It's, wow. It was 37 individual packages and four instruction booklets. That is a lot. <laughs> it is. You can, if people want to see it, it's on my Twitter. I posted lots of progress. I do photos. want to see this. Definitely. And I'm definitely going to link that in the show notes so everybody else can see your wonderful construction. <laughs> and if you go back in history, I also have a tweet of having done the Disney Castle Lego set. I have both of them. The Disney Castle Lego set is fewer pieces. I think that's 5,000. Oh, yeah. Only 5,000. Know? <laughs> I could be Maybe wrong. 6, it could be like 2,000. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> Just one giant brick. Like, ah, I put this together. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I've actually thought about this. It would be really awesome if people would pay me to put together really complicated Lego sets for them. But I feel like 
that defeats the purpose for them. But what do I know? I don't know that it like you're talking about like on a consumer level, you're going to go to the people who buy Lego sets and be like, you could buy this and put it together or you could buy this and I could put it together. Correct. Because <laughs> I feel I feel like being a Lego like I don't I don't remember what they're called. Do you know Lego what master called? master? But the Lego like, Masters invent the sets and put together like oh. uh, unique. So, for example, so it's funny. The reason I have Lego like the castle, uh, not the Hogwarts castle, the Disney castle is because it was a wedding gift from one of my best friends who works at Lego. Um, and so I was talking to her a while back. She was telling me that the Lego masters at the time were working on a life-size Ford red pickup truck with like working <laughs> lights in Lego. Wow. That is what the Lego masters do. It's wild. How big is that? How many pieces is a I have not a clue. But, I mean, it's got to be—it's I mean, got to be over a million, right? Like many. Orders. I mean, a one to one. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know how cars work. I, there's a million pieces in them already, isn't there? Right. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> and, and you get—I mean, if you want like a sense of scale, watch Lego Masters on Fox. It's like a television reality show right now, and mm -hmm. all these teams are building these just impressive sets. But they're not following instructions like I am. I need a book to tell me how to put this together. <laughs> This is like Lego Ikea. Yeah, I feel like I need the Ikea. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but it gets hard. Like, you'll be looking at the instruction booklet, and it'll just have 10 pieces that they've added. I almost think of it like a spot the difference photo, mm -hmm. because you'll see the previous step, and then you'll see the next step, and it'll tell you what pieces were used and how many of them, and then you have to spot the difference and figure out where they put them. Oh my, that's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I think it's really fun. You know, I'm not bad at finding Waldo, but I don't know that I could find 12 Waldos and five other, like, slightly smaller Waldos this and also know that they were put on the back side of the thing. Oh, yeah, that, that gets hard. <laughs> they try and use pointing arrows if it's on the back side. Pointing arrows? So, like, pointing <laughs> the fact that it, yeah, you, yeah, it's, it's complicated. I also, I also got into this weird rabbit hole in my head of thinking about whatever CAD modeling software they have to create these instruction booklets and how they like rotate things in order to show you what pieces they've added and how complex and time consuming it must be to make these instruction booklets. I mean, it has to be pretty easy at this point, right? Like um, they have to have specialized Lego documentation building software. I'm sure they do, but I find that fascinating. I would love to if anybody out there that is listening happens to know what specialized documentation software Lego uses, uh, tweet at us and let us know. Because yes, please. I would love to know. Neither of us know. And we would both love to. I would also like to volunteer in the evenings to help them uh, quality control said documentation. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do in your free time? I QA the Lego documentation software. I mean, that would require that I have the Legos to test it. So that seems exactly, reasonable yes. to I me. I see what you're doing here. Fair trade-off. <laughs> you're on the way to free Lego sets. Too bad the, like the Millennium Falcon already exists. They've probably already QA'd that pretty well. Yeah. That one's a big one, too, isn't it? It's Yeah, and it's like $1,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where I would put that. Uh, well, so here's the problem. I had to bargain with my husband for where Hogwarts mm. was going to go because <laughs> our house is not very large. We live in Bookshelf essentially a city. 
that's awesome though mm-hmm. like walk in there's just like this mini city of like i feel like a giant well i already feel like a giant but <laughs> regular, oh. re- regular people can feel like a giant yeah, so this, this is this is a visual we should give the listeners um so <laughs> people have probably seen pictures of chris before and there was this really famous in my mind picture of chris and marissa um where he has to like angle his arm really, really high to get her in the photo because she's particularly short. And if you were to swap out Marissa for me, the photo would look the same. <laughs> that's well, that's I, the height difference. I guess now I have to link that photo. Yeah. So I have to go find that photo. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can probably find it for you. Oh, I'm sure Jason has it. <laughs> <laughs> Just make him find it for me. So. I do have a very important question. Sure. Since you are very into cupcakes. I am. How do you eat a cupcake? Okay. I don't understand people who break off the bottom and turn it into like a cupcake sandwich. What is that nonsense? No, you take a bite and then you probably lick some excess frosting because you can. And then you continue biting into it as if it were a donut or a slice of pizza. I don't understand this cupcake sandwich nonsense. Why would you? No. No. So you're just like, a, you just bite straight into it. You don't take the frosting off or anything. It's no, I'm a purist. Mm, straight for it. Straight for it. What's your, what's, your, what's your flavor of cupcake? Red velvet. Red velvet. Good one. It is a good one. And I have, if anyone is ever in the Washington, D.C. area, just send me a message on Twitter and I will give you the top 10 cupcake locations, including what flavors to get where. I'm not exaggerating. That is a strong offer. I, I, <laughs> I can do this. I can do similar. I have a similar list for. I can do this all day. <laughs> I have a similar list for chain restaurants ranked by the free bread you're given at the beginning of your meal. Really? Really. What is the, what is the spectrum of bread? I mean, so there's like incredible hot rolls like Bertucci's has. Mm-hmm. And then there's really solid both white and brown bread combinations like Cheesecake Factory gives you. And then okay. there's unique things like um, the cheese biscuits that Red Lobster gives you. And then there's just places that are bad. And I'm going to, <laughs> if, if I say how I feel about this, someone's going to be really mad. But I'm sorry. All of Garden Breadsticks are trash. Yes. Uh, I believe that is the point. Yeah. They taste like, <laughs> they taste like burger buns, which is not what good bread should taste like. But it's unlimited. I don't care. So is, so is macaroni grill bread, which, Interestingly, used to be good and then got worse. But Bertucci's, Bertucci's is like the one you want for unlimited delicious bread. I'm going to have to put that on my list. Mm-hmm. You so like how you we have, talked about no content at all? I, this is great. <laughs> I love this. We, I could keep going on this. You want to dive deeper into uh, bread Dude. and bread accessories? I mean, we've joked about having an egghead <laughs> recipe publication. That Maggie illustrates. I think that should happen. Which would be amazing. Snickerdoodle bars. That is my contribution. I would, I would have to learn my own recipes or make my own recipe just to get a Maggie illustration. Oh, yeah. I've talked I mean, about this with other people before. Like, 
a Maggie illustration is the reason that I do egghead courses. I don't know what your motivations are. But. So to be fair, <laughs> my first ever course was released in uh, December as part of the like Christmas set of courses. And in the process of doing it, I specifically requested that I could get a Maggie <laughs> illustration because there were multiple <laughs> illustrators. <laughs> and it, it was just very important to me because I'd always wanted one. It was kind of a bucket list goal. And I have one and it's beautiful. And it sort of went viral on Twitter, the poster version of it, because people mm. thought it was so, so cool. It is. It's very cool. We'll have to link that in the show notes. too. <laughs> <That's>, that's... <laughs> like, there's just nothing else to say about that. It's just very cool. It's very cool. And, it's, <laughs> and what I think is so interesting about it is that they're all different. Like, if I were her, I would run out of ideas. Well, have you seen her, um, like, nine-piece, like, blog series on how I she have. does this? And I just, I'm in awe. And I, <laughs> it is not a skill set I possess. And I don't believe, I mean, I believe her because obviously she does it. But I'm just looking at it like, how? How does your brain come up with this? <laughs> I saw her, she did a stream with Jason as well, where they're just kind of, chatting about mystery sandwiches for a while and what comes to mind with mystery sandwiches and it's some kind of word association game speaking of that mm -hmm. hard question for you coming yeah. in fat is a hot dog a sandwich oh god so i actually have a friend who has a website i'll i'd have to find what it is that talks about whether a hot dog is a sandwich and includes tacos and a bunch of other stuff i do not believe a hot dog is do not believe it. Well, what's your reasoning behind this uh, non-hot dog sandwiching so, feeling that you're having? <laughs> so uh, a hot dog, is the bread is not separated and it does not include individual ingredients. It includes a single ingredient plus like toppings, but that doesn't really qualify. It includes a single ingredient and the bread is connected, which makes it more like a burger than a sandwich. But a burger has separated bread. Yeah, and a burger is clearly not a sandwich. Everybody knows this. Do we? Yes. <laughs> Let's, okay. I do not understand this argument. I've never understood this argument. In my opinion, it is very clear what is a sandwich and what isn't. And people's attempts to confuse the issue are not welcome here. <laughs> I don't get it. A taco is not a sandwich. A quesadilla is not a sandwich. A sub <laughs> is a sandwich. Does it include deli meat of some kind? Does it include slices of cheese? Does it include, you know, maybe some vegetables if you feel like being healthy today? Great. It's a sandwich. Does it include a, a large burger? chunk of meat that's more than like a couple centimeters thick, great. Probably not a sandwich. <laughs> Wait, so how do you do a steak sandwich then? I don't know. <laughs> I also don't eat steak sandwiches, so this is very irrelevant to me. <laughs> well, on that note, let's, <laughs> let's talk about view. Oh, like V-I-E-U? No, wait, I guess. <laughs> Um, you mean like a uh, model view controller, right? No, I meant like the you. I knew what you meant. I'm just being difficult. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So view framework, what, what you want to talk about? NVC, obviously. I mean, obviously. we're already on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've done quite a bit with you, actually. 
uh, including an egghead course and yeah. uh, other stuff. So what is Vue for people yeah. that don't know? Um, so Vue is kind of one of the major frameworks that exists in the JavaScript ecosystem. I think for most people, they think of React, Angular, and Vue as the big three. Some people may consider it the big four, depending on whether you are splitting out Angular JS and modern Angular. But that's a Ooh, conversation Angular for gets too Yeah, right. This feels uh, like a hot dog sandwich question. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, perhaps, comes full circle. Um, and, and so for me, I know there's, you know, questions about, or there's probably semantic arguments you can make about, well, React is a library and it's not really a framework and all that stuff. I get all of that. But in the abstract, things that you use that are popular for front-end architecture. Um, I really like Vue. I think of Vue as kind of the middle ground between the very opinionated Angular and the very unopinionated React. I think it is one of the most approachable for getting started. And one of the best decisions that they made in my mind is that they have, they know that most people will want to use a router and most people will want to use um, some kind of state management. And so they have crystallized on two best practices supported, endorsed by the Viewcore team, libraries for doing so. So Vuex state management and Vue router is routing. And so there's no guesswork of like, do I use Reach router? Do I use React router? Do I use, you know, any number of these other things? And then in Angular, it, it is technically separate. It's not like ship with Vue by default. So I really like those choices that they made. And Routing is one of those things that I think everyone who's been a front-end developer has had headaches with at one point. I think there are mistakes that Angular made with it, not to start some kind of war here. And I think React has never really decided on one true routing path. Vue not only decided on one, they did it well, and they documented it to within an inch of its life. It's incredible. Um, and it's so it makes so much sense. Like, it's intelligently written. It's well-documented. I'm all about it. And so I just decided to make a course about it where I was like, hi, people, if routing is a pain in the butt and you're building a you know, single-page application, here, come look at this. You might be your solution. And I've seen this course, and it's pretty great. Uh, oh, as thanks. somebody who has not, uh, as someone who has not used Vue extensively in the past, the course was a great introduction. That's kind of the point, right? Is you is approachable and routing in you is approachable. And so I think some of the stuff towards the end of the course, um, like navigation guards, for example, are maybe more complex use cases. And then some of the stuff early on in the course about making, defining routes and even sub routes, um, those things are table stakes in some ways. Yeah, that sounds, uh, yeah, I could agree with that for sure. <laughs> when you were saying that, um, like other, other frameworks had made mistakes, it was kind of funny to me because, uh, like react hasn't made any mistakes because if you don't pick something, then you can't make a mistake because right. no <laughs> react has abdicated <laughs> its responsibility <laughs> and someone's going to come like 
with a pitchfork <laughs> for me for that one. Someone's like, no, it's better. Ah, I, yeah, like, no, we don't and, care. And I get it, right? <laughs> so, so what I say to people a lot is React is fantastic. React is a little bit the wild, wild west, which is great if you have really, if you have people who are really well versed in the front end, you have people who have done a lot of JavaScript and they know how to make smart choices and architect something. It's a really bad decision for enterprise people in particular who have full stack developers often doing Java or .NET in the back end, and they're only forced to pick up JavaScript in order to make their front end work. For those situations, they need a lot more um, shielding. They almost need bumpers for bowling. And so React being so open-ended and having so many options is actually a big problem for those so I think it's great and extensible for a lot of people. Obviously, I work at Gatsby. Like, we love React. I love React. Um, but, you know, pick the right tool for the job. And people say that a lot and they don't really mean it. But I like, I like introducing Vue because I think it is a good middle ground. It is well-documented, so it can be approachable, but it's also flexible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you said that it's good for enterprise developers, and I know that you have a lot of experience sort of teaching enterprise developers or like working with enterprise developers as part of your history of work. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So hashtag consultant life, right? Um, <laughs> it's funny. This is working at Gatsby is actually my first time on a product team. I have previously always been a consultant. Um, and that didn't mean I wasn't building a product, but I was doing so as kind of an extension of the team rather than it being the place that signed my paycheck at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Though I guess they did one level remove, but you get the point. Um, yeah, so so working, <clears throat> it's funny, I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot these days. I do kind of the community-facing development that I think results in a lot of focusing on leading edge and what's brand new and what's popular. And so you see, for example, Svelte mentioned a million times and you think everyone's working on Svelte. Well, Twitter is a very, very small subset of the larger developer community, both in the United States, internationally, et cetera. And coming from this background of working with enterprise people, it's actually the opposite of what you think. Most people are still using Angular JS, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, the state of JS survey is like, no one uses Angular anymore. And I was like, oh my goodness, no. Everyone uses Angular because that was the only game in town. And less than 10 years later, they haven't all moved off of it. And even when React was introduced, they weren't comfortable picking it up. So they continued on with Angular JS in a lot of cases. And then they work with Angular. There are some. I mean, many production applications using Vue, but that's considered brand new in the enterprise world and somewhat untested. Um, I actually introduced it to a client at some point. We did their front end in Vue and it was fantastic, but they were hesitant about it because it wasn't as household of a name as something like Angular or React was. How long does it take for um, a technology to sort of come out and then see enterprise adoption like you would see Vue sort of get adoption in this way? Yeah. So how long? It's not necessarily from when it comes out to when it sees adoption, 
because it depends how long it takes to get attention. So, for example, Vue existed for a period of time before people really noticed it at a in a big scale. React sort of had the word of mouth because it obviously because it was backed by Facebook. Um, it had the word of mouth almost immediately. And so if you have this clear backer who's putting time and resources into it, it's it's going to be seen as stable and something worth using faster than something that comes out of the open source space likely would be. Um, but it, I mean, it takes well over a year for it to really hit enterprise land. I remember, um, let's see if I can do this math. It was 2014, I want to say. And we were working on a new portal for enterprise. Angular 2.0 was just being released. We knew Angular was well supported. We also knew Angular JS. And we saw Angular 2.0 as this huge departure. It wasn't like for sure going to move forward without breaking changes. And we could not convince our customer to bet on it. And so they have an Angular JS system that was written in 2014 that I'm pretty sure is still in use right now. Because it was a huge lift. It was a huge lift to do. And they're not going to, six years later, rewrite it when it's, you know, has so much traffic running through it and they spent all this money for a team to build it and all of that. And I think that's a piece of the puzzle that people who work nimbly, especially on small personal sites, or, um, you know, client sites for stuff that can use Jamstack, for example. Um, I don't, I think there's a lot of stuff that gets lost in terms of the enterprise experience and what their concerns are because their stuff doesn't live for a year or two. They're hoping it can live for 10 and it normally should, sorry, it normally shouldn't live that long, but for resource constraints, they're going to push it that far. That is a long time. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's code that I wrote in 2014 that is still running in production today, as far as I know. And uh, I don't think any of us were thinking about it like that. I don't think any of us were thinking that it would be running, uh, what is it, six years later now? Um, yeah. It's been ages. It feels like we've been <laughs> isolated for years already. Yeah. Um, so it, I'm guessing my oldest code still in production was written in 2012. But it was written for the federal government and that stuff never dies. So that, that will be alive forever. Yeah, I mean, I will die and that will still be running. <laughs> to be fair, if I recall correctly, it wasn't exactly complicated. It was a bunch of getter and setter methods for classes in Java and we couldn't auto-generate them in an IDE because the IDE was not a license that we had. And so I had to make them all manually. <laughs> you, you know you say it's not complicated and then you're like oh but then we had to just do it manually so i did it yeah <laughs> that's, yeah. that feels like very much a draw the rest of the fucking owl kind of for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i have horror stories right we all do um there there are things there are things that i really appreciate about working on this kind of bleeding edge area with Jamstack and um, very modern front ends and being able to use, you know, novel concepts like optional chaining that was introduced, you know, a couple months ago and now it's in our code base. And that 
that was a foreign concept to me, not but a year ago. That never would have flown. That's actually great because I was going to ask you about optional chaining. Uh, Mm. So like you've been writing a bunch of posts on this very brand new like JavaScript syntax that people are just starting to use in their applications right now. Uh, Why why tackle modern like very cutting edge, bleeding edge JavaScript syntax? Because I think it's really fun. Um, No, I mean that I think it's I think it's really cool to kind of take. I mean, there's things like Mozilla like the MDN docs. Um, and those are amazing, but they're not quite as narrative driven as what I try and write. And so I try and translate things, especially being involved with TC39. I try and translate the new stuff that people are going to want to know about. And I say, hey, this is a thing. Hey, it's coming. Be aware of it. Because most of the things that are being adopted into ECMAScript right now are pieces of syntax that existed in other languages and were incredibly useful. So there's a reason it's being adopted. People want it and they need it. And optional chaining in particular is one of those things that if I had had it four years ago, I would have cried less. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I I tell this story when I introduce it. There's a talk I do where I mention optional chaining. And I was building a portal that was dealing with traffic from, uh, it was was a DDoS portal. So it was grabbing traffic from a Juniper router, which takes, it basically sanitizes all the traffic that goes through it to prevent DDoS attack. And so the, the API results of this router were the gnarliest thing you can possibly imagine. <laughs> and all we needed to display for the user was something pretty simple. But of course, it was nested like six levels deep. <laughs> okay, but they just drop fields. If the router wasn't returning the information, it would just drop it because no one had ever thought that this API would actually be consumed by anything that displayed information to a user. <laughs> and so then I, I'm pretty sure this was a file with over a thousand lines with a single function just doing all of the existence checks to get <laughs> to this piece of information. And do you know how many lines it could have been with optional chaining? One. <laughs> could have been one and and what's so funny to me is that optional chaining was one of those things that people thought about and people are still fighting about because they don't want it included in the spec because they're afraid that for example everyone's always going to access objects with question mark dot instead of dot which is a terrible idea and so to everyone listening to this optional chaining is really cool you should use it if you have a use case for it it is not your default Don't use it as a replacement for how you access things. It is more expensive. You're going to hurt performance and you're going to get a bunch of silent errors. If you control your own data, you probably shouldn't use it at all. Soapbox. (laughs) Well done. Thank you. It was a great soapbox. Thank you. (laughs) But if you have to work with the Juniper Router API, by all means, (laughs) you have my permission. Oh, man. That sounds tough to work with. Yeah, but like these are the real world situations that never really make it to these discussions. I feel like, I mean, not to bring it up, but like the let versus const <laughs> thing is one of those things that people always dive into and they they forget the larger context. Like, yes, we can have really deep discussions about very specific keywords that we're using, but development is not 
it doesn't happen in kind of this utopian world. It happens in the real world. And most of the time, people don't have time to focus on that level of minutia when they're trying to make sure that the integration isn't going to break with, you know, the security service off, whatever. You know what I mean? Like the the actual enterprise considerations are much larger than what we focus on in these more discreet, sanitized examples that we try and give people when we teach them the concepts in the first place. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Um, so I have a very important question to ask. Mm-hmm. You are a person that plays Animal Crossing. <laughs> a new to Animal Crossing person. I downloaded it on Sunday. It is now what? Wednesday. I don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what day it is anymore, Lori. <laughs> Neither do I. I've been, I've been tweeting that. I try and tweet a few days a week to tell people what day it is. <laughs> and to be clear, it's to remind myself as well. Did you, you just tweeted that it was like March 32nd today or something like that. Yeah. So, it, so okay. I, as we all know, April Fool's is canceled this year. So it is March 32nd today. But to be fair, as soon as I did that, I realized that it's my brother and sister-in-law's wedding anniversary. And so we can't <laughs> cancel April 1st. So they get to have April 1st and everybody else can have March 32nd. That sounds great to me. Yeah. Honestly, I don't need to hear any of the April 1st stuff from... Uh, and it is leap year. Uh, like, I don't need... It's a leap year? It is a leap year. No. Oh, we, we had February, February 29th. Yeah, we my... had February 29th. So why can't we have March 32nd? <laughs> Just... That's it. The standards bodies need to give us March 32nd. I could also call it April negative one, but that feels like it would just result in a whole lot of worse stuff. Like, what's the opposite of April Fool's? And then we have to, like, then we have to go back through zero and one, right? Right. I don't know how we It doesn't really work. 32nd is more effective. (laughs) March 32nd. Yeah. So I've been reminding people of what week it is because every night I play Animal Crossing, I forget. Because they're so I got to say, the most confusing thing about Animal Crossing is I used to be a big Pokemon Go player Mm -hmm. and the weather in the game matched the weather outside. That was how like various types of Pokemon that were more special would show up. In Animal Crossing, we have weather, but it doesn't match my weather. And so I'm playing this game and it's raining and it's making me sad. And I look outside and it's sunny and I'm like, (laughs) no. And, and I, I messaged my friend who plays Animal Crossing and is very well versed in this. And I was like, why is it raining? And she's like, oh, that's good. You'll get special fish that way. And I'm like, but, but no, I don't like it. But this. it's not raining. <laughs> it's not raining. <laughs> yeah, I am an indentured servant to a man named Nook. Um, I call him a raccoon. Apparently that's not what he is, but he looks like one. Uh, I don't. I don't like how hard it is to catch fish. (laughs) I don't understand flowers. Apparently they're just for show, but like I'm supposed to collect them. I'm confused. Um, And and my museum is ready, but I haven't opened the game yet today. So I think that's actually a record. That's the fastest your museum can be ready because, okay, Chris, do you want to learn something about Animal Crossing? Obviously. Okay. So. For anyone who needs entertainment during these rough times, Animal Crossing, um, (laughs) on the first day, if you go and get, I don't even know how many he needs, I think 
30. Oh, wait, no, hold on. You have to go and get either insects or fish and give them to Mr. Nook. Mr. Nook. I don't know. Tim Nook, whatever his name is. The Nook guy. The Nook. <laughs> Nook. <laughs> the raccoon. That right. damn the raccoon. So you need to give him a bunch of those. And at a certain point, and he'll ask you if he can send them off to his friend for investigation. And you say yes. <laughs> and so when you've sent his friend enough of those, he invites his friend to the island. And his friend is Mr. Blathers, who is an owl. And so Mr. Blathers shows up the next day. So you have to like go to sleep, wake up. Mr. Blathers shows up. Mr. Blathers shows up and you have to give him, I think it is 30 unique species that you have caught. So there's fossils, insects, and fish. And so you give him those. And then after you've given him those, he shuts down. And then for two days, you are building the museum. And so the fastest you can do that sequence of events, given the number of evenings that needs to happen, and real life time matches in-game time, which is why it's confusing that weather does not. But when you wake up, the museum will be ready at the earliest on the fourth day. So today is my fourth day, so I have now done it as fast as humanly possible, but it's still... Actually, I think that's the weirdest thing about Animal Crossing. Normally, the day you get the game is the day you're most excited, and so you binge it. Mm -hmm. True of any video game. That's actually not really possible in Animal Crossing. There's a bunch of things you don't unlock until day two, three, and four. And it's like, why did they make this choice? They should have front-loaded a little bit more. But I guess they anticipated that we'd all be in isolation and need to measure our consumption. They just knew. (laughs) Yeah. They just knew. They just knew. Nook knows everything, okay? <laughs> Nook knows everything and uh, controls everything. And that owns everything. Story. And owns In- everything. Including my future labor for like a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think I owe him like 200,000 bells right now. I haven't heard of anybody getting out of debt completely yet. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad sign. So I kept focusing on getting out of debt. Like I, I kept trying to do that. And then he'd say, oh, great, you're out of debt. Here's a reward for getting out of debt. And then he'd say, oh, but don't you want to do more this other debt. thing that'll get you in more debt? <laughs> Your so, reward for getting out of debt is more debt. Yeah, he's capitalistic, I'll tell you. Like, yeah. And, and you don't really have a choice, right? Like, you can't talk to him about anything else unless you decide that you need that bigger house he's been telling you about. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm just imagining like a little raccoon just like standing in front of you, just completely ignoring you like, hey, can I get like, I don't know, I want to buy a soda or something. Yeah. And he's just like. You haven't bought my house yet. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So my my struggle is that there are various things I would plan to do to pass the time. So obviously we have discussed my Lego. Problems because I no longer have any sets in my house to build. I I am normally a baker and I can't bake because everyone in the world has decided they are a baker and there is no yeast. There's no sugar. There's no flour. Like there's nothing. (laughs) So now I have to figure out a bunch of ways to make things to satisfy my sugar craving that don't involve any of those ingredients. (laughs) Um, I have been watching a lot of television. I am waiting patiently for I think it's Saturday. That onward, the Pixar movie is being added to Disney Plus. Um, we've been watching Big Love, which is an HBO show from like 2006. 
and we oh, yeah. started it, I think, two a week ago, two weeks ago. It's five seasons and we'll finish it tonight. That's the level of time that we have on our hands. <laughs> yep. I think we're going to start Big Little Lies. I'm not sure I can get behind this whole Tiger King thing. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard too much about it yet, except Wait, that what? it's extremely dramatic. You haven't? Oh. No. Okay. Let me. Okay. Going back to like the old TV show uh, topic for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody spoiled the ending of Lost for me like two weeks ago. Wait, how did you go this long without being spoiled? (laughs) That's like downright impressive. Okay, so do you know what's worse? When Lost was originally airing, I'm not going to say how old I was. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. No, I mean, at some point. There's a year associated with this somewhere. (laughs) Right. At some point during Lost's run, I was in high school. That's not that surprising. Um. So Lost was originally airing, and at some point, I've got, I think it's like season three or four, maybe. I don't know how many seasons Lost has. I didn't watch it. But there was a preview. (laughs) (laughs) There was a preview, because there was another show that I watched, and there was a preview where a, like, a button's going off, and then you see a plane crash. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my friend who was really into Lost and all these girls I went to school with who were sitting there and they had all these theories. And I was like, based on what happened in the five second preview, this is what's going to happen in the episode. They're like, no, 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 no. You don't watch Lost. You don't have the context. (laughs) There's so much more going on than that. And then I was right. And they didn't speak to me for like a week. Sometimes the person who lacks, honestly, this is, this is a nice little allegory for documentation. The person who lacks being deep in it is the one with the clearest vision of what needs to happen. <laughs> that is going to be the 30 second clip that I put on Twitter. That little <laughs> spiel right there. I mean, it's honestly, that's how that's how you justify consultants. <laughs> they come in with this like very clear untouched vision of anything everything you'd give them all of your complex problems and then they sit there and say oh no you're just making them more complicated than they <laughs> why need are to you be. doing any of this just <laughs> right. do that and you're fine <laughs> so someone shared this video with me earlier um because i oh i put out a tweet and i said the best solution to imposter syndrome is to talk to someone who doesn't work in your field because you'll feel like a genius immediately it's true mm-hmm. and someone sent me this youtube video that is. Uh, I was believe some kind of project manager asking for them to add a birth date on a screen. And then the engineer is sitting there kind of, kind of pulling out his hair and (laughs) explaining all the different connected systems and why it's going to take so long to get that birth date on that screen. And it's (laughs) phenomenal. I was laughing really hard. It's great because it's exactly what happens in every consulting meeting I was ever in. It's like you walk into this company and they're like, here is our architecture. And we're like, okay, we trust that this architecture was born out of the constraints that you had at the time. But seeing as you are investing in improving it, this <laughs> needs to be here. We have to have a real conversation about moving forward. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, m- most technology problems aren't technology problems. They're people problems. Oh yeah, for sure. 100% and, agree with that. It mostly comes down to communication. And half the time when people say it's technology problems, it's communication problems about people either misunderstanding each other's constraints slash problems 
or people misunderstanding how to accomplish something, doing it the only way they know how, and creating technical debt. Isn't all code technical debt, though? I mean, just don't write it and you won't have any bug. Don't write it. (laughs) (laughs) There was just never ship it and it'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, I I had this. It's always about Twitter, right? I had this tweet the other day. (laughs) (laughs) I had this tweet the other day where I said, don't create a button with an irreversible action if you don't give someone some kind of confirmations pop up telling them what the heck is going to happen. Because literally there was a button that said leave stack. I think. And I didn't see an X on the screen to navigate away from this modal that had popped up. So I assumed Uh, leave stack meant cancel. No, it removed all of my information from my account. Perfect. Right. So that's bad (laughs) and shouldn't happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And. Yeah, so I, I tweeted about this and the response was. Don't create buttons. Don't create. Don't. <laughs> it was different people. Each of those responses were different people responding to each other. Oh, that's that's not relevant. <laughs> okay, so we're running out of time here. Uh, it is time for the speed round, which is a concept I made up earlier this morning. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> guinea pig, Lori. <laughs> well, you're not the guinea pig, actually. I've oh. done this already. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why it's called the speed round now and not something I thought of while we were recording the episode. Okay, got it. Speed round. <laughs> I can do this. I'm like cracking my neck. <laughs> if you put one lasagna on top of another lasagna, is it two lasagnas or one big lasagna? One big lasagna. Is cereal soup? No. Should cheese and green onion crisps come in a green bag or a blue bag? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> like chips Jeez, like, like sour cream and onion chips oh, basically oh, that kind of thing. oh green <laughs> how many holes are in a straw two oh okay sorry I can't answer this question I was a math major and my 400 level course was in topology <laughs> and my answer to this question is way too long <laughs> but a straw is a donut and that's all I'll say <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. And I was so happy you did. (laughs) It is also a coffee mug. I'm done. (laughs) Coffee mugs and straws are the same object. This is true. Now, if we really want to get that sandwich question going, Lori says a straw and a don't and a coffee mug are the same thing. I'm going to I'm going to start asking people, uh, are a straw and a coffee mug different things? And you will learn whether they had to take a topology class in college. <laughs> They're going to just drop out in silence and be like, why would you ask me that? <laughs> Lori, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet? Sure. Yeah, um, it's been awesome to be here. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Lori on tech is me basically everywhere. So that's me on Twitter. That's my website. Um, and you can also find me on Egghead as Lori Barth. Awesome. Thank you very much again. And uh, that's it for today. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to the Party Corgi podcast. If you want to come be part of our community of creators and hackers, you can find a link to our Discord channel at PartyCorgi.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Party Corgi Pod. I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>